0: So the passage this morning is James 1, verses 19 through 27. When I'm working, I do maintenance work at faith. I'm not the type of person who likes to think through it and get it the easiest way I can. I'm the kind of person who, if there's a job to be done, I'm just going to use my back and get it done, right? If I can push harder and it'll work, I'm going to push harder to make it work. That's the way that I work. I don't, I don't like to stop and think through and go, okay, maybe I could do this and it'd be a little bit easier. I just think, okay, I'll use my back a bit more. Oh, that's not working. I'll push harder. That's how I work. Now, sometimes people notice that. And there's a common phrase that they'll say. I actually hear it quite regularly as I'm working. It's work smarter, not harder. Right? People tell me that all the time. Because I like to work harder, not smarter. It's just more fun for me, I guess. So I hear this, this wisdom, I guess, that's been passed down from generation to generation and I think, oh, that's really cool, no thanks. <laughs> People say just, it'll be easier if you work smarter. I'm like, yeah, I get that. Oh well, and then I just move on, right? They're, they're giving me a way that they think you can improve in this area. They think you can, I don't know, maybe it'll be easier for you, less hard on your arms or your back. And I see that, and I see the truth in it, because sometimes I genuinely think of a way that would be easier, and I just decide not to do it. But I don't, I don't follow the instruction. I see what they're saying, I see the point, and I just don't care. I just move on. And that's the attitude that James is talking about in this passage. He's not relating it specifically to manual labor, He's relating it to our spiritual lives. So as we look at James chapter 1, verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren. This really is a call for them to hear. There's a couple ways you can translate the so then. Some people say now, some people, or it could be translated now. But it's really just saying listen. It's saying, my beloved brethren, I want you to pay attention And he's not just saying what he's going to say, he's calling them to listen. He wants them to notice what he's about to say. James wants these believers that he's writing to, to notice what he's saying next. And so he begins with just a couple of practical instructions. He says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. This is very similar to what we see a lot in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs talks about a lot about listening, a lot about not speaking that much, and about not being angry. So in starting off here, he's giving some very practical instruction. You've probably heard another saying, you have two ears and one mouth, you should listen twice as much as you speak. Does that mean I listen twice as much as I smell? I don't know. Anyway, that's not the point. We need to listen more than we speak. People, even in the secular world, recognize that. It's good to listen. Kids always tell, our parents always tell their kids that. Like, you need to listen to me. Kids are notorious for speaking more than they listen. I, I was very notorious for that when I was a kid. Right? It's something that people recognize, is you need to listen more than you speak. And that's what James is beginning to remind his belie- these believers of. And then he says, slow to wrath. You're not to be quick to get angry. You're not going to have to be quick. You, you need to not be quick to explode, to be furious, but even just to get frustrated. You shouldn't be quick to get annoyed. You shouldn't be quick to this wrath. And then he gives the reason why. He says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When we are angry for ourselves, That is not working the righteousness of God in our lives. When we are angry, when it's man's wrath, when it's about me, it's not about God. It's not about his way. There are two types of wrath in the Bible. There's righteous anger and there's unrighteous anger. Here he's talking about unrighteous anger. He says man's anger. Righteous anger is never rooted in man. And James, again, is just giving them this practical instruction. Don't be angry because it's not working God's righteousness. Our lives need to be characterized by that righteousness of God and being angry, the wrath of man, doesn't produce that. So that's really how he's introducing this concept of practical living is by giving them a few principles. But then he broadens it out. Verse 21, therefore, because of what he just said, because the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. These words, uh, filthiness and wickedness, are about two of the most generic words you can get. Filthiness is anything that's unclean and wickedness is anything that's evil. Right? He leaves it very broad. He says, you see this, this practical instruction, don't be quick to anger, don't be quick to wrath because it doesn't work the righteousness of God and so lay aside all, anything unclean and lay aside all overflow of evil, all abundance of wickedness that is currently in your lives. We see the righteousness of God that we want to produce in our lives, that we want to have evident in our lives. And we do that by laying aside this filthiness and overflow of wickedness. But again, that's still very vague. But he describes further in this verse how to do that. He says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's the opposite. It's the twist. Instead of having this filthiness, instead of having this overflow of wickedness, we're to receive the word. But we're to receive the implanted word with meekness. The implanted word is something that was I was kind of scratching my head about for most of the week. What does it mean, the implanted word? Right? What's the word implanted in? It's implanted in a book on a, some pieces of paper? Is it implanted in my life? But how is the word of God implanted in my life? Through Bible study? I was trying to think of all kinds of things, but then finally I started to, at least I think, understand it a little bit better. We have the gospel of Christ that was brought into our lives. We have the gospel of the Son of God that was put into my life so that I stand before you redeemed. And it's through the word of God, right? Right? And that's what he says later. It's able to save your souls. That's what the word of God accomplishes. This powerful word of God, this scripture that we already have, we need to receive it. Now, I have a Bible in front of me right now. right? I'm, I'm holding this word of God. Somebody, this was a gift. Somebody gave it to me and I received it. So therefore, I am all set. Right? Close, done. Have a good day. I received the word. That's not what he's talking about, though. And that's what he begins to describe in these next few verses, is how to receive the word. What does it look like to receive the word? There's still the idea of meekness, though. But I'm going to come back to that. So keep thinking about what it is to receive the word with meekness, with mildness, with humility. And I'll come back to that near the end. So then he says, receive the word, but be doers of the word. And not hearers only. He immediately addresses an an objection or a claim that the believers might make. Well, I am receiving the word. I'm going to church every Sunday. I'm hearing it all the time. That's receiving the word, right? That's not receiving the word. And that's what James says. He says we're not just to listen to the word. We're to live it out. It's easy for the word to be something that just goes into our lives all the time that we listen to and we can say, oh, I'm receiving the word. But James isn't content with that. He's not fine with you just saying, oh, yeah, I heard a sermon last week. He wants to see action. He wants to see practical living. He's saying, when you receive the word, true receiving of the word is living it out. And then he says, not here is only deceiving yourselves. Why is it deceiving yourself to only hear the word? Well, in homiletics, which is learning to preach, we're always told you you make a claim and then you give a good illustration to help people grasp and understand that claim. Well, I think I think that James went to Jerusalem Baptist Bible College because that's what he does. He gives his claim. He says be doers only, or be doers and not hearers only. And then he gives an illustration. He says, because if anyone is like a hearer of the word and not a doer, and then he's explaining why it's deceiving yourself. He says, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. Right, you wake up in the morning, you go into the bathroom, you look at the mirror, and you look at your own face. And he says, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, I'm going to give an illustration of James' illustration. So, at college, we have a rule that our beards need to be trimmed if we have a beard, and we're theoretically supposed to trim it every single day. Now, I often have a habit of, during the school year, waking up, going to the bathroom, looking at my beard and thinking, I need to trim that soon. I can do that later, and then walking away, thinking, "Ah, I have stuff to get done this morning. I don't have time. I've got this at this time. I've got this at this time, and then not trimming my beard. Then the next morning, I wake up, and I walk into the bathroom, and I go, oh, that's right. I was supposed to trim my beard. Ah, I should do that today. Maybe this afternoon. Then I'll go and I'll keep doing that for several days, probably a week, and then think, okay, I really need to trim my beard now and then maybe trim it up just a little bit and do it again the next week. Right? I'm looking in the mirror. I'm seeing something that needs to be done. I'm seeing, oh, my beard's a little scraggly today. And then I'm saying, I'll do it later. And I'm doing exactly what James says. I'm forgetting everything that I just looked at. In, when afternoon comes, I'm not thinking, oh, I need to trim my beard this afternoon. I'm thinking, Oh, what will I do this afternoon? Right? I'm not, I'm seeing something. I'm seeing an issue, something that needs to be addressed. I'm seeing an action that I need to take. I'm seeing a principle, a principle of trimming my beard. And I'm just leaving it. I'm looking in the mirror and going my way and forgetting what kind of man I was. And really, that is deceiving yourself. Because throughout the day, I'm thinking I'm all good. I'm not thinking there's something I need to be doing. I'm not thinking, oh, I have this this thing that needs to be done. I'm deceiving myself and thinking, I'm all set for the day. I'm deceiving myself and saying, I'm good to go, when in reality, I'm not. And that's why it's deceiving yourself. Because if you hear the word, there's action you need to take. But if you don't take that word, if you don't take that action, you're saying one of two things. You're either saying, no, I'm actually good, I don't need to take that action. Or you're saying, I don't care enough about that action to take it. And that's where we get into the idea of receiving with meekness the implanted word. Because how proud is it to look at the word of God and not take action? How proud do you have to be to look at principles from Scripture, to look at what God has said, to know that there's action you need to take, to see application, sometimes even very clearly made in Scripture. And to not do it. How proud do you have to be to sit under the teaching of the Word of God and not diligently apply it to your own lives and think through how you can take that and live it out? You're not thinking about serving God. You're not thinking about what you should do. You're thinking, I'm all good. You're thinking, wow, that was a good sermon. Okay, time for my day. You're thinking, all right, I read my Bible for the five minutes this morning. Now it's time to get on with actual life. It's pride. And that's why James says we receive the word with meekness. Because meekness and humility recognizes that there's work to be done. Meekness and humility recognizes I need to take action based off of this. And so the only way we can receive it in meekness is by acting out what we're seeing. Is by reading the word and living it out. That's the only way we can meekly accept the word. And then James is talking about this. In verse 25, he gives another contrast. He says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. He says, Instead of looking in the mirror and not changing, When you look into the word of God, when you look into that perfect law of liberty, you need to continue in it. When you look at the truths that God has given down to us and you live it out, you will be blessed. Because you're not forgetting, you're not deceiving yourself, you're not thinking you're all good, you're not acting in pride, but you're truly serving God. Because you're seeing the principles of the word And you're acting on it. This is so practical of a passage. He's just bringing it back down to earth. You see the word, you do the word. Right? Monkey see, monkey do. (laughs) We see the word of God, we do what we see in the word of God. It's as basic as that. That's what we need to do. And then verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, This one's religion is useless. I'm sure we've all met that person. You talk to them and you're trying to share the gospel and they're like, well, I'm a religious person, but I don't go to church. You know, I'm a religious person, but I find my religion this way. Or "I, I think I'm pretty spiritual. They think of themselves as religious. But then you look at their life. That person doesn't go to church. They don't read their word or the word of God. They don't fellowship with other believers. They don't repent of sin. They don't turn away. And let's even take it a step further. Let's say this person thinks of themselves as religious because they go to church, because they read their Bible. This person thinks of themselves as religious because they spend their time in the Word every single day, because they gather with believers Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But then... What he says is, if they don't live it out, and he gives a specific example of bridling your own tongue. He says, if you're not going to exercise self-control, if you're not going to control your speech, which is such a basic command from Scripture, then you're deceiving your own heart again. You're saying, I am such a religious person. I'm going to church every single week. Man, that's so cool. But then you're not living it out. You're deceiving yourself again. You're saying, all I need is to go to church. You're saying, all I need is to go through the actions. You're saying all I need is to put up a superficial facade of religion and that's enough. I am so religious. But James says you're deceiving your own heart and that religion is useless. Useless is a pretty strong word. It's good for nothing. It doesn't profit. It doesn't help. Saying you're religious and not living it out is pointless. That's what James says in this passage. This one's religion is useless. And then verse 27, he gives the contrast again. He says, you might say you're religious and not live it out, but that's useless. But pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. He says, this is useless religion, but this is pure religion. This is bad religion. This doesn't accomplish anything but this is real. This is the real stuff. This is right. This is what it should look like. And he says, it's to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, that doesn't mean that if you don't know any widows or orphans, you're in trouble. Right? I didn't know any widows or orphans growing up, I don't think, so... I guess I didn't have pure religion. That's unfortunate. Well, he's not exactly saying that. He's giving another example of religion working itself out. The pure religion from the heart going to the outside in service, in acts. And he's saying, there's a widow, there's an orphan. People that need care, people that need help, people that need service. Pure religion serves them. Pure religion helps them. Pure religion Even just visits them. Because real religion works itself out so that it goes to action. You can have action without a heart. You can say, I am going to church every week, I'm reading my Bible every day, and you cannot have the right heart behind it. But you cannot have the right heart without action. If you have the right heart, you're going to act. That's pure religion. And so that's what he says. And to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Just practically, again, separating yourself from the world. Separating yourself from the world's ideas. Not letting it taint you. Not letting it affect your life. But instead, living for God. And acting it out. That's what James says real religion is. It's not just going through the motions. It's not just doing something On the outside, it's not just saying something, but it's true service, it's true action. So how does that come to bear on your life? Well, really, my application is that you need to apply. (laughs) That's, That's what James says. You need to take the truths of the Word of God and apply it to your life. So let me ask you a question. Have you been doing that? Let me ask you another question. Have you been faithfully doing that? Let me ask you another question. Have you been living out where you've been convicted? Have you been living out and acting on what you've seen needs to change? Let's go to Hebrews real quick. Somebody I know is going through Hebrews. <laughs> and he's preaching. I believe we recently heard Hebrews chapter 12, the first couple of verses. Says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. If you were here, I think last week, you heard a sermon on that. And I remember Pastor Robinson said, Think about the things that aren't necessarily bad that are weights that are holding you back from your spiritual life and lay them aside. And then think about the sin which ensnares you. Think about sin in your own life and lay that aside. So my question for you is did you do that? Did you last week look at this passage that Pastor Robinson just preached and did you come up with ways that you need to be laying aside sin and that you need to be setting aside weights? Because if you didn't you're hearing. But there's something very clear in Scripture that you're not doing. So as we go back to James, as we keep thinking about that, just one thing, one brief application for you is to start writing down application. right? That's what you can write down for today is to write down more application. Don't just hear the word and think, oh, probably I need to get better in that and move on. Be specific. Think, okay, there's sin that I need to lay aside. What is the sin? Okay, I've come up with a sin that I need to set aside that I'm not doing properly. Now, how do I do that? And write down steps you're going to take to lay that sin aside, and then take the steps. If every single sermon or message or Bible study or time you read your Bible you do that, You just write down one application and then you just write down how you're going to do that application, you're going to be having so many things that you need to be doing. If every single time you open up the Word of God, you think, How does this come to bear on my life today? I think your life would look different. Because the Word of God has so much to say that we don't bring to bear on our lives. That applies to church. When Pastor Robinson or Jordan or Joe is up here preaching, or even me, I guess, write stuff down and live it out. When you're doing a Bible study with some friends, brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, write stuff down. Again, specific. Write down steps you're going to take. When you're reading your Bible every morning, when you woke up a bit late and you've got five minutes, read the Word of God and then come up with ways that you're going to live it out specific, detailed ways of this is how the word of God comes to around my life. Sometimes it's easier than others, right? The application from today is really easy. Apply it to your life. Let's say you're reading Isaiah. You read about how Sennacherib was attacking Jerusalem and uh, the guy's name who starts with an R goes up to the wall and is saying, hey, surrender, your God's not gonna help you. And then the Israelites say, don't speak in Hebrew. Right, let's say you read that passage. Sometimes it's a little harder than others to come up with that application. But that doesn't mean we don't do it. That's not an excuse for not applying the word to your life. You can look at that passage and see the Assyrians were saying, don't trust in God. But the Israelites needed to trust in God. So where's my trust going? Right? This is all about who your trust is in. So where's my trust? Even just something like that, asking yourself that question. And then there's a faithfulness to it. You don't just do that one time. It's not like, okay, I was a doer of the word for this week. I'm good to go. It's not like, all right, I just heard a sermon about doing it, so I'm going to do that tonight, and then you forget about it. It's faithfulness. It's continual. He says in one of these verses, verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, You don't do this once or twice and stop. This should be a lifelong process. This should be continual, faithful work. And it is work. Continual, faithful work of serving God, of living out religion. So, even as we think, even as we close today, we're going to sing the song, Speak, O Lord. Just think about how is God speaking. Well, he speaks through his word. So how is the word speaking to your life? Was your conscience pricked? Then act on that. Were you encouraged? Or were you thinking, hey, this is something I could do better? Then act on that. Think about the way that God is speaking and live it out.